Create, innovate, collaborate. There is nothing more rewarding and more challenging than starting a high-growth startup. One day you're on top of the mountain, king of your domain, feeling like you can take on the world after closing a big funding round or significant contract. And the next day you're walking through the shadow of the valley of death as you figure out how to make that capital stretch because you spent more than you thought or you have employee issues or there are product issues and customers who are threatening to walk away. There are very few entrepreneurs who will actually succeed and fewer still who will reach unicorn status, that magical $1 billion valuation. Imagine if you did. Imagine if all that blood, sweat and tears led to being a founder of that magical unicorn and then within months it's all over and you are left with nothing but a financial mess and a tarnished reputation. I am Brad Twynham, your host and virtual entrepreneur in residence, and my guest today has lived that story. He's been a serial entrepreneur since leaving school and has been involved with startups either as a founder or early stage employee for his entire career. He's also had that magical unicorn, only to see it disappear and then walk that lonely path through the ensuing devastation. It's an honour to have on the show author, speaker and founder of the Founders Lab, Jamie Pride. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brad. Great to be here. It's an honour to have you on the show. Your courage for coming out and talking about your successes and failures and addressing this issue of why startups fail is much needed. Can you take us through your entrepreneurial journey and in particular the story that led you to write Unicorn Tears? Yeah, I mean, look, I've, uh, I'm 45, so I've been doing this for about uh, 25 years, give or take. Um, I started the first half of my career in the corporate world and um, was fortunate enough to work for some pretty um, successful US tech companies, so spent some time at Cisco Systems and uh, then subsequently went to uh, Red Hat and Salesforce.com. Uh, I came back to Australia uh, about uh, nine years ago um, to lead uh, and be the CEO of realestate.com.au. And uh, I've always had, I guess, an entrepreneurial spirit. So um, during the time in corporate, I'd sort of had a crack uh, at founding a few different startups. And and during my time at REA, I was um, sort of fortunate enough to work with a couple of other founders and, and we built a, a startup focused on salesforce.com specifically. Um, and, and that was really the beginning for me. So um, since then, I've founded six startups. Um, I have had my share of successes and failures, um, having listed, as you've mentioned, sort of having listed a company on the ASX. Um, and now I sort of spend my time either sort of focusing on developing founders or investing. Um, so, you know, I would consider myself to be, you know, an entrepreneur at heart. Um, but, I, but I work on, you know, the venture side of the ecosystem as well. So, you know, trying to sort of have both perspectives and have empathy for the founders. So you mentioned the you, – we mentioned in the intro the, the unicorn that you did found and you, you did end up running a company that had a valuation of a billion dollars. Can you take us specifically through that story? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite a billion. Um, so uh, I think we ended up getting to about, I don't know, 200, 250 mil, somewhere around there. Um, look, I, I think, um, you know, for me, that business was uh, part of a portfolio of companies that we'd invested in. Um, you know, I, I left uh, Deloitte Digital um, probably about um, five, six years ago, having sold my first startup, and I was fortunate to get an exit, um, as, as many founders don't. 
but I was fortunate enough um, with my co-founders to sell our business um, to a New York-based systems integrator. Um, and as a result of that, I went off and founded my own um, incubator and, and accelerator and an investment company. So we were sort of a, a sort of a hybrid model where we we either incubated from ideas or we invested or we did a combination of both. And um, one of those um, businesses, which was a project that myself and uh, and my co-founder came up with, was was a business called Refined. It was focused in the HR tech space. And, um, you know, we, we were quite successful very early on in terms of having brought some early customers on. Um, and I guess at that point in time, there was a bit of a rush for early technology lists. And so, you know, we listed that business on the ASX um, in 2016 um, and saw, you know, the market capitalization sort of increase tenfold. Um, but, you know, it wasn't to be and, and, you know, mistakes were made on a variety of fronts. But, uh, you know, as a result of that, you know, the business um, ended up getting punished pretty hard in the market. Um, and so, yeah, so that's sort of the story. You, you talk about this case study in, in your book, Unicorn Tears, and you also talk about this phenomenon of founders burnout. And you use that case study in the book to highlight founders burnout and what you went through. Can you take our listeners through what you mean by founders burnout? And as that business failed, what you went through personally and the journey you went through personally in terms of, I guess, recovering your own sense of self, because I believe it was really a difficult time for you. <clears throat> yeah, look, I mean, I, I uh, up until that point, and it had run some pretty large organisations and, and run P&Ls sort of greater than sort of 250 mil. Um, you know, it had 600 staff previously. So, you know, I thought I was pretty well equipped to run a small startup. Um, and, and I guess I was taken a little bit by surprise um, you know, my view is that a lot of founders defer their own health and well-being for that of their business. And so, you know, we are um, constantly um, encouraged to, you know, put everything that we have to die for our startups, almost literally in some cases, um, you know, founders sort of all about the hustle and sort of burning the candle at both ends. Um, and so as a result of that, founders don't really take care of their their health and well-being, especially sort of looking at sort of physical, mental and emotional dimensions. And so, you know, my experience was that, you know, I was very unfit physically, um, you know, hadn't eating well and wasn't eating well, you know, I was doing a lot of investor lunches, you know, drinking very heavily um, and just really wasn't in a good headspace, you know, wasn't sleeping very well. Um, so that when the crunch came, I didn't have the reserves or the capacity to be able to adequately respond to that stress. And so, you know, I went through um, a lot of health issues. I, you know, uh, sort of had a um, suspected heart attack. Um, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I was drinking really heavily, you know, and, and sort of as a result, I sort of resigned from all of my positions and went through sort of a period of about three to six months of pretty intense depression. Um, and I guess as a, as, a, as a result of that, and fortunately, I was able to to pull myself out of that with the help of some, you know, family and friends. But um, for me, it sort of started to germinate this idea that, you know, founders need to build capacity, entrepreneurs need to build capacity so they can better take care of their businesses and other people. And this idea of sort of deferring your health and well-being um, and sort of, you know, I guess running in an unsustainable manner um, for me was the, I guess, the, the start of me putting together the book Unicorn Tears and sort of starting to look at how founders disproportionately impact the success or failure of their business. That's a tremendous story, Jamie. And one, I guess, that really highlights for me 
the resilience of coming through something like you have and coming out the other side and then reflecting and, and, and determining that, hey, there's a real message in here that other people can learn from my experience. I've got a personal question for you, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot too much. When you were creating these companies and particularly, you know, when you were riding that high of being a founder and getting success after success after success, it's clear you had a tremendous vision and purpose behind each one of those companies. But were you clear on what your own personal vision and purpose was? And what I mean by that is were you clear in your own mind why you believed you're on the planet or, or what your own value was? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not sure if anybody knows that for certain, but um, yeah, look, I mean, I think I was um, and I am. Uh, you know, we go through these these trials and, and challenges. I'm a, I'm a big believer in stoicism. So, you know, for me, if you sort of look at Ryan Halliday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, um, you know, I think that's a very good description of that philosophy, which is, you know, adversity is essentially a crucible through which, you know, you can improve yourself. Um, it doesn't always feel like that at the point that you're you are um, sort of being challenged and you may be down and out. But you know, on reflection, you know, a lot of these things happen for your benefit rather than to you. And I think that's a bit of a mindset thing that you know entrepreneurs need to develop. Um, you know, but for me, I'm still I'm still constantly growing um, as an as an individual, um, and I think that's part of life. I mean, I think that's that's the beauty of why we're here. Um, you know, if we've got it all worked out at 20, I think, you know, it's life would be pretty boring. Um, but for me, yeah, I mean, look, I, I wasn't founding those businesses for the money or the glory. I mean, I genuinely believe that entrepreneurs need to be connected to the problems they're solving. Um, in that business, as an example, uh, that business was very much around improving employee engagement and communication and having been in the corporate world and I guess experienced um, how poor corporate communication can be with regards to sort of email and and I guess a lack of you know personal engagement um, that was a problem that I looked to try and solve and so I was passionately connected to the problem we were we were addressing um, and I think that's one of the foundational aspects of being a successful founder is is to have a sense of purpose. Um, I don't think passion alone, um, a lot of people say, you know, do something that you're passionate about. Um, passion, you know, comes and goes and it's, it's something that isn't necessarily, um, uh, that doesn't necessarily have longevity, whereas I think purpose does. Um, and so understanding, you know, what your values are and how they connect with the business that you're either founding or working for, for me, is really, really critical. That's great, great message there, Jamie. And look, you're a confident guy. It clearly comes across in everything you do. But you got lost in the hustle. There must have been a reason for that. Have you had a chance to sort of reflect and, and sort of just go, hey, why didn't I just stop for five minutes and, and take care of myself? I mean, have you had that chance to sit and reflect about that? Or do you think it was just you just got caught up in it? What, what was the reason that, that you just couldn't at that point? Just stop yeah, look, and go. Yeah, yeah. Look, know. I think I think um, I think that most entrepreneurs, um, you know, are all about the hustle, right? So they are all about let's just push through, um, and we will take care of those hygiene factors on the other side. I mean, I see that with founders that I work with. I mean, I've worked with over six hundred and fifty founders over the past two years um and you know they exhibit the same characteristics which is you know i'm going to put myself second i'm going to put my business first um to a certain degree the venture community encourages that uh 
certainly, you know, the the curated entrepreneurial dialogue um, encourages that where we see, you know, the social media and, and curated, I guess, um, communications of, of other entrepreneurs and founders, which is, you know, I'm, I'm crushing it. Um, you know, we've got, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and others out there who are, you know, kind of, I think, preaching this view that, you know, if you hustle, then, you know, you'll be successful. And that isn't always the case. Sometimes you do need to slow down um, and you need to have a little bit of, you know, for me, the three characteristics of a successful entrepreneur are um, self-awareness, um, adaptability and resilience. And so, you know, you've got to curate those and develop those skills um, and, and that takes time and it takes effort. And so, you know, if you, if you don't build that capacity, if you don't build that fuel tank, as an entrepreneur, when you don't need it, um, then it's not going to be there for you when you need to draw upon it. And so, you know, in my own experience, um, you know, part of it's a bit of, um, you know, ego where you think, you guess what, I've, I've, I've run a $1.3 billion business before, um, you know, how hard can a small startup be? Um, but part of it is also, you know, a, I guess a drive that is inherent in a lot of entrepreneurs, which is, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to sprint this marathon um, and I'll go to the gym or I'll eat better after my cap raise or I'll, um, you know, I'll start to meditate and journal, you know, after this product releases shipped. Um, and so for me, um, you know, it's actually about, you know, the, the, the metaphor I think that's useful is, is the oxygen mask on a plane where, you know, you need to put it on yourself and take care of yourself before you can, you know, take care of other people. And, and I think that's true um, for entrepreneurs especially. Absolutely. Unicorn Tears is a fantastic book. And, and I do encourage not just any startup founder, but really anyone who, who is engaged operating continuously at a, at a high level to read the book it clearly comes from someone who has insight that can only come from doing this time and again. And there's so much wisdom and insight in the book, but I want to discuss two things in particular that jumped out at me. The first is what you term in the book, the cult of failure. It's endemic. And and one of the things that's baffled me for so long is that with all of these incubators and accelerators that are appearing almost daily in the ecosystem, we just can't seem to shift the needle on the failure rate. When I started my entrepreneurial career in, in 1993, the statistic was 80% of all small businesses fail. And here we are 25 years later with the same statistic with 90% of all startups failing. So in 25 years, we've not been able to shift the needle. In your experience and in researching your work for Unicorn Tears, is there one root cause for this or, or is there a combination of things? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I thought that's interesting too, and, and I started out with this hypothesis that you know we we need to we need to move the needle on failure rates. I've I've backed off a little bit on that in the sense that I believe that any work that requires um, you know a fair degree of innovation is is just naturally going to have high failure rates, right? So, um, and and I think why we're seeing more of that is that innovation and R and D was typically the the um, domain of large corporates and as a result of that you know those failures were buffered inside a larger organization um but and and, you know when you're doing it in a startup you know those kind of failures can be terminal um for for startups so that so that's the first proposition which is i think that high failure rates on their own aren't necessarily a bad thing but then if you look a little bit deeper 
Um, you know, there are 10 primary reasons why startups fail when you start to look at the, the actual numbers. Um, and those 10 reasons essentially fall into three large categories. They're either founder-related failures, um, they're funding-related failures, um, or they're business model-related failures. Um, and a lot of people, I think, have focused on the latter two. So they've focused on business model. Um, and certainly, I believe that the ecosystem has come leaps and bounds in terms of looking at rigor around improving value proposition, improving business model, although I think that there are um, definitely areas for improvement. Um, in terms of funding, I think that my, my overall view is that I don't think money solves early stage startup problems. Um, and I think it's a, often a panacea that is sort of held out as a, as a, as a solution and, and certainly I think covers up a lot of weaknesses of, of founders and business models. Um, but the one that I started to really hone in on the most, which was, um, you know, founder-related failures. And, and for me, founders disproportionately impact the success or failure of their startups. You know, we're talking about very intimate environments where, you know, the founder has a, has a huge impact on culture, they'll have a huge impact on product, on relationships, you know, on hiring. Um, and if that founder isn't well-balanced, um, if that founder isn't self-aware, um, you know, if they're not mature enough emotionally, um, then they're going to have a very negative impact on their business. They're going to have a negative impact on on culture. They're going to, they're going to have potentially um, hostile relationships with their co-founders, hostile relationships with their board and their investors. And so for me, working with and developing founder skill set um, and maturity was one way that we as an ecosystem can address this problem of, of startup failure. That's a really good point. Would you agree with the statement, Jamie, that when you look at op optimally performing as a startup founder, it really is somewhere between 10 and 20% execution and between 80 and 90% psychology? And what I mean by that, actually, as you said, being self-aware, turning up ready to play, taking care of that basic hygiene that allows me as an individual to have that awareness and to perform optimally for that marathon. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of things at play um, when it comes to founders. I think the first one is, um, you know, we've got um, a lot of stereotypes and cliches of what a founder actually is, um, you know, yep. and I think a lot of people hold up um, you know, people like a Steve Jobs or a Zuckerberg or a Bezos or, a, you know, an Elon Musk and, and say, you know, that is what a founder looks like and that if you behave like that, you're going to be successful. Um, and, and I think they're unicorns in their own right. I mean, certainly I don't think they're representative of all founders. I can't say they haven't been successful because clearly they have. Um, but I don't necessarily think that they form, you know, a great blueprint for for what a great founder is. So that's the first thing, I think. I think the second thing is is that, as a as a new founder, if you think about the problem over a long enough horizon, it changes your view. So what I mean by that is if you think about founding and being an entrepreneur over a 20-year time period rather than just the startup you're working on right now, it changes the way you look at the problem. So if you feel like if, if I sort of said to you, you're going to develop a 20-year career in professional services or accounting or law or finance, you know, you start to think over a longer time horizon. You start to think about building your career as a series of milestones. Um, you start to think about doing an apprenticeship and, and ultimately building your skill set out. And if you think about entrepreneurship the same way, I think it gives you a much more sustainable view. Um, however, most 
new, and I just say most, it's a generalisation, it's not all, but a lot of new and a lot of actually experienced entrepreneurs can't see beyond their current startup. And so, and, and because of that, you know, it, it, I think it it creates a sense of short-term thinking. Um, it, it creates a very unsustainable view around personal sustainability in terms of, you know, physical health, mental health, you know, personal development, you know, learning your craft. Um, and so as a result of that, you know, entrepreneurs are like, all I need to do is just, you know, I'm going to burn plenty of bridges, um, including my own, um, to, you know, to get us over the line. Um, and they just don't think for the long term. But when you start thinking about entrepreneurialism uh, as, a, as a career, um, you know, then I think you, you, you do different things. That's tremendous advice. I actually haven't thought of it that way, but sustainability of the founder I think it's so important and, and it's great to hear you say that because I, I sincerely believe that myself. You talk about the found, founder myth and this notion of a founder being an individual or two individuals. It seems to me to be a modern-day construct. I mean, personally, I think it's really dangerous. You know, my experience in founding startups, you know, I considered the first 20 employees that I've ever bought into a venture that I've founded to really be the founders of the business because for those first 20, you really are hiring people who, you know, have that entrepreneurial um, nature to, to the way that they work. But today it seems to be we give two or three people the kudos of being founders and the business becomes all about them as founders as opposed to this broader vehicle for making change and making positive change and making innovation Am I smoking something here, Jamie, or would you agree with my views on that? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I mean, a lot of people are very precious around their founder, co-founder titles. And, you know, I've seen businesses fall apart, actually, but people even arguing over the title, which I think is insane. Um, for me, it's more about roles and responsibilities, and, and it's more about leadership more than anything else. And so, you know, I, I hear, you know, the words entrepreneur and 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 founder bandied about, but you know, I think I think you need to break it down, and and so you know this idea of the super founder. So you know, we're we're sort of we're we're creating this mythology that you know this you know co-founder or founder needs to be the all-seeing, all-knowing you know startup god that you know is uh, you know a product expert, or, you know a sales expert, or, you know an amazing hire of people. Um, you know, all of those things I think is placing a pretty unfair burden um, on, on, you know, founders firstly. Um, and I think secondly, there are, you know, various components to the founder role. And I think you're right. I think there are people inside the organisation who can play a part in that, um, you know, whether it be product development, um, you know, go-to-market strategy. Um, I think the most important role of a founder um, you know, it probably has two phases. The first is, um, you know, pre-product market fit and certainly, um, you know, pre-hiring of people is, is really just understanding, you know, what problem are we solving and who are we solving it for and sort of setting that vision um, for the, for the organisation um, because, you know, startups I think mostly fail um, the actual statistics are they fail because there's no market need for the product is is typically the the first failure hurdle um, that a lot of startups experience. But for me as a founder, um, it's it's more about um, sort of setting that leadership position around you know what mountain are we going to climb and why are we going to climb it. Um, that ultimately I think transitions to setting culture um, and hiring people because 
you know, I haven't seen a startup be successful without a great team. And so attracting attracting and retaining talent is, I think, crucial of a great startup founder. Now, I've seen, unfortunately, in my time, I've seen a lot of, for want of a better word, completely crazy psychopathic founders um, who nobody really wants to work for because, you know, they're either aggressive or they're, you know, inconsistent, they're, you know, emotionally unstable, um, you know, and they've created this persona where they think that they need to be, you know, assholes um, in order for them to be, you know, a founder or they haven't really taken care of their own demons um, and they're really exercising them at work and they think that that's part of being an entrepreneur, which it isn't. Um, so for me, it's it's a combination of those two things um, that are really sort of get us to the challenges that we're facing around founders today. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, that role of the founder is so critical. And, and a big part of that is establishing the culture. And I do think a lot of founders take that for granted. And, and they do focus, in my experience, there's a lot of founders that focus way too much on the product and product fit rather than building a great company. And, and I think you've, you've really echoed that. The part of the book that really resonated with me more than anything else is the section on founder fitness. And you talk about founder fatigue. You've developed a model for that. Can, can you take us through the model and, and really what you mean by founder fitness? Because I do believe it's so important. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there's some really, firstly, some just some sad statistics. And, and so having gone through my own journey, um, I started to sort of sort of explore what was actually happening in the ecosystem and, you know, I started to look at, um, you know, some of the the, the data around um, founder suicide. So founders are twice as likely to have suicidal thoughts. They're twice as likely to be hospitalised for a mental health condition. Um, when it comes to sort of burnout, um, about 30% of founders say they experience anxiety. Um, the founders are three times more likely to experience depression. Um, they're six times more likely to have a drug or alcohol problem. And so, you know, in, in summary, you know, founders are, are numbing out, um, they're burning out, and in some unfortunate cases, they're checking out. And so um, that's a result of a couple of factors, but, you know, the, the, the data is pretty conclusive, and I'm looking at working with an Australian university at the moment um, to do a more comprehensive study on the state of, of founder health and, and mental well-being. Um, so that said, I think that um, the solution to the problem is one of capacity. And, you know, this is just something that I developed um, through my own journey is that I certainly had the capability. And so there's a lot of focus with founders and, and entrepreneurs on skills. So, you know, the sense of capability. So do I know lean, lean startup? You know, do I know business model generation? Can I do lean canvas? You know, those kind of skills, you know, am I good at hiring, et cetera? Um, and they're all important, but they're easily learnt. Um, you know, you can read a book, go to a course, that's great. Um, but if I look at founder fitness um, and, you know, how do you failure-proof yourself as a founder, you really need capacity. So you need a, a fuel tank um, that you can draw upon in times of, you know, sprinting, in times of stress, um, you know, whether that be in your personal life or, or in your professional life. And so for me, capacity is built upon um, physical capacity. So looking at, you know, diet, um, exercise, sleep, your relationship with alcohol um, and, you know, overall energy management. Um, it's built on, um, you know, mental capacity. So how do you 
manage um, your productivity? So, you know, do you, um, you know, pick up your phone every morning and respond to a thousand emails and drive in a reactive state? Or do you do you look at doing deep work? Do you look at scheduling your time and, and managing, um, you know, your most important tasks every day? Um, and then lastly, your emotional capacity. So, you know, how are you um, in terms of questioning your own biases, beliefs and bullshit? You know, do you do radical self-inquiry? Do you understand what your own strengths and weaknesses are? You know, do you meditate? Do you journal? You do, do, do some kind of reflective activity to then give you that headspace, you know, within which um, to be successful. And so for me, the it's, 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 it's a lot of work, um, but it's the most important thing that founders can do, which is to build out their physical, mental and emotional capacity because I think that it leads to the development of those three traits. It leads to, you know, a sense of um, adaptability. So, you know, for me, fit founders are more coachable. They're more open and receptive to collaboration. You know, they're more res- more open and receptive to other people's ideas. And I think have being adaptable as a founder is really, really a crucial skill. Um, they are more aware. Um, so when you do create that mental space and, and that physical space, you feel better. Um, you're more willing to be reflective um, and to question your own strengths and weaknesses and build a team around you that supports those. Um, and then lastly, you're more resilient. So, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have adversity. When I talk about failure-proofing founders, I'm not really talking about, you know, stopping adversity because adversity is part of the game, right? Um, but I am saying that when adversity comes, how quickly can you bounce back from it? And that's what resiliency is defined as. It's your ability to spring back from, you know, a negative event um, quickly. And so for me, you know, adaptability, awareness and resiliency are are the cornerstone traits of of a long-term career in entrepreneurialism. Yeah, and it's not just the ability to bounce back. It's how well you can continue to free up that capacity in the midst of a crisis as well because as a founder some of those crises can last for quite a period of time we're talking months yeah and 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 look it it is you're right i mean it's it's all about for me sustainability so anybody can anybody and and i see this in the corporate world as well right yeah you know anybody can burn themselves out in the short term to you know get the ball over the line um, but then they've got to have a, such a huge rest. And so, you know, I, I think this phenomenon of, you know, corporate escapism and and certainly I see startup founders running away from their startups. So, you know, this idea when I see, um, you know, people, you know, um, needing rests and, and ultimately running away from, you know, their business because they've burnt out, it's typically an indication for me that they haven't built a sustainable work life, right? Where they, you know, are nurturing themselves. Because if you're doing it right, then you shouldn't need to take off any time at all. And I know, I know that sounds contradictory, but you should take time off on a regular basis. But this idea that people sort of sprint, burn themselves out, and then take two weeks off or four weeks off or four years off or whatever it's been, and then they come back again, then they sprint, and then they have to take time off again. They sprint, burn themselves out, then take them time off again. Um, I, I don't think that's a sustainable um, approach um, to doing this. I think that you need to incorporate that capacity building and nourishment of your well-being into your day um, so that actually doing your job makes you stronger. It doesn't deplete your reserves. And I think that's just a different way of thinking about it. 
I completely agree with that. I think this whole notion of work-life balance is such a myth. It's really about work-life integration, and I hear that's really what you're saying there in terms of using your job to get, you know, stronger and and developing yourself emotionally as as you progress through this marathon. Um, One of my tells when things get a little bit out of whack for me is is I tend to find myself isolated. I tend to find that my relationships outside my business are suffering because I'm so focused on the business. Have you found in your experience a similar tell for you uh, that, that can provide that warning that, that you are potentially sort of, you know, pushing a little too hard? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the canary in the coal mine for me is sleep. Um, and so when I am not sleeping well, um, it's, it's, it's a very bad indicator. So, um, I find that actually a lot of entrepreneurs I work with suffer from insomnia, um, in either self-induced or otherwise. Um, and so for me, if I'm not sleeping well, it's a double problem because firstly, it's an indication that I'm, I've got a problem. I'm either, you know, working too hard, I'm drinking too much, or I'm, um, worrying about something or something along those lines and and so it's a it's a it's a proactive indicator there's something wrong but then it exacerbates the issue because if you're getting up tired every day you're less creative your relationships suffer because you're cranky you know you're less inclined to take care of yourself because you're tired and so it's a spiral and so for me, the one thing that I encourage founders to do and also that I focus myself on when I have, you know, when I have to bring everything back to the core is to start with sleep. Um, and, and sort of from there, I can develop good relationships um, because I've got the sort of headspace and capacity to do it, which I don't normally have when I'm tired. I believe it's this model of founder fitness that had you found Founders Lab. Can you tell us a little bit about Founders Lab and what that's all about? Yeah, so um, the Founder Lab is a business that I started specifically to address the problem of of, um, building better founders. Um, So a lot of um, a lot of a lot of education that I had seen in the market, and a lot of um, focus on um, startups and the ecosystem was very around around the business and startups. And so, again, I'm a bit of a contrarian, um, but I think that if you build better better founders, you ultimately build better startups. And so, um, I founded uh, a business that is focused on um, looking at you know practicing what I preach, which is, you know, how do you acquire the skills? Because there isn't a roadmap, right? There's no, everybody can go out and read Lean Startup and, you know, everybody can go read, um, you know, the Startup Owner's Handbook by Steve Blank. They're both excellent books. Um, But there's really no blueprint or guide for, well, what are you going to do to be a founder, right? So it's highly democratized, which I love. So you know, anybody with an idea and, and a notebook or a laptop can, you know, go to a co-working space and, you know, get some funding and, and crack on. And, and I love the democratization of, of innovation and startups in, in this country and globally. I think it's amazing. Um, but nobody, including the incubators in Australia, nobody is focused on, okay, but 
what skills do I need to be a founder and how do I develop myself to be a world-class founder um, beyond just one startup? So, you know, if 92% of startups fail within three years, it means that 92% of founders are going to have a failure within three years. And if we don't nurture and develop those founders, then we're going to drain the entrepreneurial talent pool in this country. And we're going to find ourselves without people who are willing to come back. We're going to lose those learnings. We're going to lose those lessons. And so for me, this idea of reorientating ourselves with failure, sort of destigmatizing it, making sure that founders have the ability to come back again and learn from the lessons of their previous failures um, and to grow and to develop further is really essential. Now, that's partly just going through the journey, um, but the reason why the Founder Lab exists is to, um, to put some frameworks around that. And so, you know, we've got a program that runs over 12 months um, that allows founders to um, bring their startup if they've got one or not um, and sort of work through what I think are the foundational elements to a long-term career in entrepreneurialism. And how could someone join the Founder Lab? Uh, is, it, is it available to other incubators that are looking at rolling that type of program into their cohorts, et cetera, or is it a centrally based um, you know, space that you have that founders come into? How can people join and, and what does it look like to, to be part of Founders Lab? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a 12-month program. Um, it's not full-time, so it's something that, you know, we typically um, have a workshop once a month um, and then we do uh, – so that's typically a face-to-face workshop that works uh, um, in Sydney, but we're looking at sort of developing it into further um, states as well. Um, where where founders come in, we work through a full day of a particular topic. Um, we do a monthly um, uh, Skype call, so we we sort of do some problem solving in between, um, and then I do one to one mentoring um, with the founders as well. We've got a community um, where we've got um, sort of uh, collaboration between founders who are sort of looking at. At sort of you know particular challenges and so it's very much a a coaching and mentoring um program with structure around it um yeah we work with people who are in incubators um who you know are getting what they need from the incubator in terms of well you know this is how i develop a value proposition this is me going through lean startup but you know how do i create uh, an entrepreneurial life right so you know how do i work with my spouse my kids you know how do i look at you know, not losing my house, um, you know, how do I incorporate, um, you know, a, a daily routine um, that means that, you know, I can do something because I'm, I'm passionate about entrepreneurialism. I love it, right? I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I think it's the future of work in my view in terms of, you know, we're seeing increasingly, um, you know, greater and greater numbers of people leaving the traditional corporate nine-to-five job and looking at sort of flexible working, remote working. Um, and, and so that's a, to me, that's a form of entrepreneurialism. Um, it doesn't always have to be about, you know, technology startups. Um, but, you know, how do you structure your life around, you know, an entrepreneurial endeavour without burning yourself out? Um, and, and how do you do that in a sustainable way? And that's what the Founder Lab's about. I, I don't think that's just relevant for entrepreneurial founders. I think also people in the corporate world could, could also greatly benefit from these types of workshops. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and look, I do coaching um, for executives as well where, you know, I look at, 
you know, this phenomenon that I mentioned earlier where executives are all about high performance, but they can only deliver that performance in short bursts. Um, and, you know, that's because, you know, they don't have a sustainable working um, method. And so they're sort of like, okay, you know, look, I was a partner at Deloitte. I mean, I love the firm. And, you know, you, you kind of get there and you kind of work on a project and, you you know, you give it your all. Um, you know, you, you work, and, you know, until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night for, you know, seven weeks, eight weeks, and you go, oh, my God, I'm, I'm really I'm really burnt out. I need a break. Um, and, and I don't think that's good for the organisations or for the individuals. And so a lot of these um, a lot of these methods apply equally to the you know corporate executive who wants to be who wants to have this sustainable high performance just as much as it does for startups. And you know, I, I when I have you know go out for beers with my corporate friends, they go, oh, I'm you know I'm leaving. I'm gonna and they don't leave to to go to another job. They leave because they go, I'm gonna start a coffee shop or a coaching business or I'm going to start teaching swimming or whatever it is because they're so fed up with the unsustainability of the corporate world and I just don't think it has to be that way. I couldn't agree more and I encourage anyone who's listening to get in touch with you either if you're a entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, a C-level executive. How can people uh, get in touch with the Founders Lab and find out more about what you're doing or or indeed join up Founders Lab? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I am uh, Jamie at uh, thefounderlab.com.au. Uh, that's our website as well. Um, I'm on Instagram at Jamie Pride. Uh, and, yeah, look, we, we typically um, don't advertise our services. We, we sort of work through um, a process of determining whether or not we can add value over a 12-month period to an individual founder. Um, and uh, and try to kind of customize the program um, to them, and and it's something that you know for us, it's it's something that I'm just you know personally passionate about, um, and you know I guess I guess I've got 25 years experience in in various um, entrepreneurial roles, um, and you know we've brought that to bear into a program where we can focus on, you know I think building the entrepreneurs of the future, um, and I guess my give back, you know, is we run a, a not for profit. Um, uh, founder mental health program as well called the Founder Circle. Um, and the Founder Circle is uh, we run it in Brisbane, Melbourne, and Sydney. Um, we look at running um, an event every week um, in Sydney. We're doing them every month in Melbourne and, and uh, Brisbane at the moment where it's really founder peer support. So it's a free program that we put out to the community where founders come. Uh, it's Chatham House rule. They can talk about things that are weighing on their mind that they can't necessarily speak about with their investors or their staff or their spouse, um, and they just want to share those experiences with other founders. And you know, we were we were sort of trying to address this this often kind of communicated issue that founders feel isolated and alone, um, and they feel like they're the only one that's suffering. And I think that. Part of the reason why founder burnout and, and numb out has, has increased is because, you know, founders are feeling isolated. They're surrounded by a lot of people. Like, I mean, they're in co-working spaces potentially with hundreds of people, but they still feel alone. Um, and sort of they don't have a space where they can be vulnerable and actually talk about themselves. Most of the startup founder events that I've sort of seen are all about, you know, coming and networking and, you know, connecting with people who can help you, lawyers, accountants, or, you know, capital raising. And and no, none of those events are really around, well, how are you going? You know, um, are you well you know uh, how you're dealing with you know you know your, your co-founder. How you're dealing with stress. 
Um, you know, do you have, you know, a, an advisory board or do you have a peer group that you can go to um, to just, I guess, use as a pressure release valve, you know, to say, hey, guess what? We've been through this as well. You're not the only one and you will see the other side of it, you know. And even if you don't, you know, maybe the maybe this is the startup that pops and, you know, you don't, you know, you don't get your multi-million dollar exit on this one, but guess what? You've got to survive this startup so that you can do your next one, you know? And, and yeah. for me, that's that's something that I'm I'm really passionate about. Absolutely. Jamie, just before we go, what would be your top tips that you'd give to founders in terms of habits they can implement daily to keep them on this track in terms of building towards sustainability? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm really a believer in practical um, application. And so the first piece of advice I'd give founders is you've got to develop some rituals and routines. Um, and by that, that means having a good morning routine and a good evening routine. So firstly, um, if you don't have a morning routine, you need one. Um, and a morning routine should comprise of two elements. It should comprise of something that is energizing and something that is focusing. And so, um, you know, for me, I'm an advocate of having a digital sunrise and a digital sunset. So I don't touch my phone until, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, I spend um, seven till nine, uh, spend about an hour energizing myself. So focusing on um, either, you know, dieting, exercising, journaling, um, meditating, um, something that's restorative, something that gets my head in the right space. Um, that is not touching my phone. It's not reading emails. It's not reading, you know, Instagram, things that are going to put you into a negative headspace um, or start you thinking about other people's priorities or issues. So the first thing I do is something that's energizing. Um, then I work on my single most important activity for the day. And so, um, you know, we've all got a, and if you don't, you should have a productivity system that allows you to prioritize, you know, your single most important task. And so I work on my job, my most important task first. And so I spend an hour to two hours of uninterrupted, you know, deep work focusing on, you know, whether it be, you know, a sales proposal, it could be um, writing my next book, it could be focusing on developing something for my podcast, all of those things um, are proactive items that I work on. And so I start the day really positively, I've got, you know, potentially one to two hours worth of work. And, and that intensity, I think, trades off the time. I think most people would admit that if they spend one to two hours every day, uninterrupted without having touched their phone, fully energized, woken up in the, in the morning. Um, it's like a day's worth of work. Um, and so then I can tackle the rest of the day and then the day could be a complete and utter write-off. Um, and I have, you know, significantly achieved, achieved something. My, my, my old routine used to be roll over, you know, look at my phone, you know, just go, holy shit. And then, you know, start to deal with a whole lot of crap. Um, and that just starts your day off badly. So for me, you know, and I can talk for hours on it, but certainly um, having a morning routine that focuses on yourself and, and that is really where you start to build capacity. Um, so if people want to, you know, it's all good and well for me to talk about building capacity, but how do you do it? The first thing is to establish a morning routine. The second thing is to establish an evening routine. And so that's, you know, at what point in time do you um, uh, turn your phone off? Uh, and really a good evening routine, again, has two components to it. It's got a reflection component to it and it's got a restorative component to it. So for me, you know, part of your evening routine has to be getting crap out of your head um, because that's why a lot of people don't sleep. I think the adage that, you know, when you wake up, write stuff down is too late. Um, so you need to be 
either journaling in the evening, um, and I'm a big proponent of the five-minute journal, but looking at um, how do you kind of get all that deliberate worry essentially out of your head um, and then having a ritual every night, whatever it ends up being, um, that gets you a really good solid night's sleep. Um, and that's partly physical, so like temperature, sound, light, um, you know, it's looking at potentially things like magnesium and a bunch of other supplements that can help you to sleep. Um, it's not drinking, it's not taking sleeping pills, but it's really sort of, you know, how do you get a good night's sleep? So the two things I would suggest firstly um, for founders is to have a morning routine, have an evening routine, and the last one is to have a peer support group. So um, not not somebody who is an advisor to your business around your business, but um, a group of people that you can go to to say, hey, guess what, you know, I'm really feeling stressed out, you know, we're running out of cash or, you know, I've got to fire a friend or, you know, my investor is bullying me or, uh, you know, all of those things that you can't more, you know, how do I tell my girlfriend that we're running out of cash and, you know, I've got to go back to work and all of those kind of things that, aren't easily spoken about, you know, with your team um, or with your investors, but having that peer support group is crucial. So they're really the three tips I would give founders um, to start on this journey of sort of professionalising yourself and 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 becoming, I guess, a, a professional entrepreneur um, are, are elements that you've got to have in your day in some capacity. They're great tips, Jamie, not just for entrepreneurs, but I think for life in general, for anyone who's listening to this. Now, a little birdie told me you've got another book in the wings building on this. Yeah, I do. I mean, um, I have a book coming out next year, so it's a, a bit away called Failure Proof, which is really about, um, you know, how do you build um, resilience and behaviours to be a high-performing executive or entrepreneur. So um, it's really around... Some of the things we've spoken about today, Unicorn Tears, um, you know, has been really, really successful at selling well, focusing on, you know, very much the entrepreneurial sphere, um, whereas Failure Proof is focusing um, on that, but also more around, you know, the human aspects, which is, you know, what do I believe it takes to be a high-performing um, person in business today, whether that be in an enterprise or, or in a startup. Can't wait to read it. If it's anything like Unicorn Tears, it's going to be a great read. Jamie Pride, thanks for coming on the show. It's been such an honour having you here and and it's been such an enlightening conversation. Uh, My pleasure, Brad. It's been excellent being on the show. Thanks for having me.